Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, family. Uh, my heart is full. I hope yours is. And what a blessing here to come to the word of the Lord. Before we do, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Join me as I pray. So, Father God, we thank you that you are the holy God, the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You who made us, you who by your grace have redeemed us. You have brought us into relation with you, made us your children, and you have given us your word, your powerful, living, active, unchanging word, for it is here that we meet you, it is here that we learn of you. So Father, we ask that this morning your spirit would take your word as we read about these words of Jesus, that, Father, they would transform us and change us, draw us nearer to you and make us more like Jesus. Father, this morning we also thank you for our young people and pray for Pastor Aaron and so many of our kids who are away on a retreat this weekend, ask for your blessing upon them, that it be a spiritually impactful weekend and even now, that you would be blessing them as they are likely at this very moment uh, worshiping you as well. So, Father, we commit now this next time to you. Open your word to us that we might understand it and put it into practice. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. A number of months ago, I received an anonymous note one Sunday that had been passed to me through the, I guess, dropped in the plates in the back. It came from a lady who was deeply struggling with hurt and despair over situations in her life, and she was broken. I reread that note this past Friday, as I do every so often. For one reason, I read through it just to remind myself to pray for her. Since I don't know who it is, I pray that God would bring healing from her pain and bring hope back into her life through Christ and would put joy back into her heart. But I also reread it occasionally because I need to be reminded, as all of us do, that at any given day, any given time, we may very well encounter someone in deep pain, in deep anguish and despair, but we will never know it because, through their words because they will never speak it with their lips. And very often we also cannot read it on their face or see it in their eyes. And so we are not aware of that pain. And yet someone next to you this morning or in front or behind you may be 
going through some deep, dark valley and really need a word of encouragement this morning. May we be encouragers of one another. May we lift one another up in prayer and come alongside one another. Today, as we come to John chapter 16, and I neglected to ask you to turn there, the Gospel of John, I encourage you to have the text open. It's always helpful. and We, we try very hard in, in our studies on Sunday morning to go through a passage of Scripture and to help lay it open so we understand it, so we can apply it, and it, it helps you to see it for yourself. John chapter 16, and in this passage this morning, Jesus is speaking to people in that situation that that dear lady was in, in despair, in anguish, in sorrow. And in this text before us this morning, Jesus is talking about how to have peace in such a time of sorrow or turmoil. We are coming to the end of a series. We've been in John chapter 13, and we finish up next week in John chapter 17, looking at the last eight hours that Jesus spent with his disciples before his arrest and his crucifixion. And in these eight hours, Jesus is, as it were, having a little bit of a, we would call it a cram session with his disciples trying to instill and reinstill in them lessons that they need to know in order to get through and to prepare them for the unimaginable events and changes that are about to hit them like a tidal wave. And they are very unaware of what's coming, but Jesus knows exactly. And the passage before us here in John 16 is the last bit of Jesus' teaching because what happens in chapter 17 next week is Jesus prays for his disciples. Then they go into the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 18 where Jesus prays on his own, spends quiet time in prayer before his arrest. And these words here at the end of John 16 are Jesus' last bit of instruction to his disciples and as well to us as his followers. It's how to have peace in time of difficulty. There's actually much more here than that, but that's going to be our focus this morning because it's a fairly lengthy passage and we cannot begin but to scratch the surface of it today. But you see, the disciples here... Well, let me, let me read the verse first, a couple of verses. Picking it up in verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And if you've been with us in this study so far, it's really no wonder that sorrow has filled the hearts of these disciples. They've really had a bad night. It began there in chapter 13. The evening began as they gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover together. And right off the bat, things go badly for them. There's this embarrassing debacle of the foot washing. (laughs) 
Or they didn't provide anybody to do that and they forgot to do that. They didn't, none of them wanted to do it because it's all beneath them. And Jesus gets up and starts washing their feet. They were embarrassed, humiliated that the master would take on the lowest job because they wouldn't. Then as the meal was beginning, Jesus revealed that one of them was going to betray him. He was a traitor. And then as the meal got going, Jesus made the shocking announcement that he is leaving. And where he is going, they cannot follow. And then Jesus said to the leader of the disciples, to Peter, he says, you're going to betray me three times before morning. And then there was more talk about Jesus leaving. And then earlier in end of chapter 15, the beginning of this chapter 16, Jesus talked about times of trouble that are coming upon them, persecution, suffering, difficulty, even death that they will face as his followers, and as well by extension that things are going to be difficult for all of his followers as it has been through church history into our own day. And now as we pick up here in verse 6 of chapter 16, Jesus once again talks about leaving. Jesus has said so many things this evening that were troubling and, quite frankly, confusing. But certain things have been crystal clear. Things are changing. And they will never be the same again. Jesus is leaving And it is apparent that there is some ominously bad unknowns that are about to peek over the horizon. That has become clear to these disciples, so their hearts are filled with sorrow. But these final words, these final teachings of Jesus are designed with a wonderful, with a marvelous purpose And we find that purpose at the end of those teachings. If you look down in verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Jesus wants his followers to have peace. To be at peace even in the midst of of the great storms of trial which are about to rock their world and the great storms of trial which may rock yours. Earlier in this evening, Jesus had made a promise about this very thing. Back in chapter 14, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There has always been a lot of difficulty and a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain in this world. 
And people have always looked for ways to find peace in the midst of an uncertain and a difficult and a troublesome world. And they look all kinds of places. People turn to psychiatry trying to find peace. People look to self-help gurus trying to find peace. People turn to yoga and meditation trying to find peace. People look to positive thinking trying to find peace. People often try to numb the pain and find peace in this world through all kinds of, of entertainment if they can just keep themselves busy and trying to have fun. Some people turn to try to numb the pain into alcohol and drugs and hopefully find peace there. And what they find is a dead end. And Jesus says, I give peace that's different. He's offering a peace that brings genuine calm to your soul. A peace that is different because it's not a peace that we tr need to try to fabricate, but it's a peace that we find when we embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. And this passage is loaded with truth. But as I said this morning, I want to focus in this passage as Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. There's truth about Jesus in this passage that will bring peace and calm to your soul even if you're in the midst of a storm in life. Seven realities about Jesus that I want to call our attention to this morning, which will give us peace through Him. We pick up the passage in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Jesus here promises that he will send the Holy Spirit. And again, if you've been with us through this study, you already know that he's already promised on a couple of occasions here to send the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, John chapter 15. Pastor Aaron, a few weeks ago, led us very ably through a study about this promise that Jesus made. And of course, if you know the Bible, you know that Jesus did indeed send the Holy Spirit. He has given the Holy Spirit to us. We find that in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus' crucifixion, after His resurrection from the dead, as Jesus ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 2, He told His believers to stay there in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. The church is born. And now the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures tell us, indwells every believer in Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6.19 is one verse which says that. Your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, which you have from God. And Jesus says, having the Holy Spirit in us is a great advantage. He says, it's to your advantage that, that I go away so the Holy Spirit will be in you. He's saying that having the Holy Spirit in us is better than having Jesus with us. And I think we would join with the disciples probably going, wait a minute, I, I, might, I might contest that. 
It'd be awesome to have Jesus with us. But Jesus says, no, it's to your advantage that I go away. Having the Spirit in you is better than having me with you. There are many reasons why that is true, but Jesus gives two here in our text. Two reasons why having the Spirit in us is significant and why this reality helps to give us peace. Look at verse 8. When He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they, the world, does not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Again, so much there, but let me just put it very simply. The Holy Spirit convicts the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. People cannot and will not Believe in Jesus Christ. They will not put their faith and trust in Him as their Savior until someone, a person will not do that until they are convicted, convinced of sin, righteousness, and judgment. As we learned last week, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He said that this world system hates you because you do not any longer belong to the world, but you belong to Him. And he says, it will be difficult for us to be in this place. Some will experience severe persecution. Some will be martyred for their faith. There is always a cost. For many of us here in our culture, in this day and time, the cost is very light and minimal. But as we noted, for many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of our believers, actually millions of our believer brothers and sisters around the world, persecution is reality and it is severe. While life may be difficult for us here in this world, here's the point. The Holy Spirit will enable us to carry out the mission which Jesus left for us to do. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem where you are, in Judea, the bigger area, in Samaria where we cross over those boundaries of culture and race and socioeconomic boundaries and then throughout to to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. It's the mission he left us to do. Matthew chapter 28, 19. As you go into the world, he says, make disciples of all the nations. Make, bring people to know Jesus as Savior and grow them to follow him as Lord in their life. Make disciples, make followers. That's the mission. You realize it is impossible for us to do that mission, to carry out that mission without the work of the Holy Spirit in this ministry of convicting. There's a second work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus mentions here in verses 12 to 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, in summary, he, the Holy Spirit, teaches us. 
The Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to recall all that Jesus said and taught them as Jesus is as he's speaking to the disciples, he's saying, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to enable you to remember everything. The disciples can remember what Jesus taught. This Holy Spirit lifts the fog from their minds to understand the things that they have been so confused about, the things that they could not understand, will become clear and in focus. And then the Holy Spirit worked through them to get to us the Word of God, the written Word of God, inspired Word of God, So we can also know what Jesus said. But you see, here's where the Holy Spirit works in us today. He is not revealing to us the Word of Christ, but He is illuminating the Word of Christ, which He has given to us through the apostles and disciples so that we can understand, because as Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the things of God, they aren't, not able to be comprehended by the mind of man because they are spiritually discerned. No one, None of us can know the mind of God except that God reveal it to us, which He does. And He uses the Holy Spirit to help us to understand His Word. As Paul goes on to say, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that God has freely given us. In His Word. The application of that reality to us and how it helps to impact and give us peace, if I may put it simply, is this. The Holy Spirit in us and working through us enables us to do and enables us to become all that God has planned for us. So that as we live And as we work and as we are here in this broken and difficult world, in this hostile world, in this world where there is often suffering and where we often may feel overwhelmed and we feel under-equipped and we feel insignificant, the Holy Spirit works in us and through us to do and to become all that God has planned for us. Isn't that good news? Moving on, verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will see, not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, This is what you are asking yourselves. What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. So the disciples are puzzled. They're going, "Ah!" Just like many of us, sometimes you open the Bible and you go, "Ah!" What did he just say? I don't know. And that's where we need that teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit to come along aside of us and help us to understand, which is exactly what happened later on. The blinders come off and the disciples are going, oh. And you know, it's easy for us on this side of time to look back with hindsight and we go, well, come on guys, don't you get it? 
Just hours from now, Jesus is going to be crucified. And then He will not be seen because He will be dead and buried. And then they will see Him. A couple of days later, He rises from the dead on the third day. Now, by the way, Jesus had even told them this was going to happen on several occasions. Matthew records about a year before this, up in Galilee, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And by the way, the point here is that Jesus has risen from the dead. But Jesus is talking to the disciples and Matthew reports, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The disciples had heard all this before, but they refused to listen. Like Peter right here, he goes, takes Jesus aside and says, Hey, Jesus, you're wrong. Pretty bold. He says, Far be it from you, Lord. He began to rebuke Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I always am amazed at how Peter argues with Jesus. (laughs) I think, what an idiot. And then I look in the mirror. Oh my goodness, how often do you argue with God? You know, we don't do it while everybody can hear us. <laughs> we have plenty of things to say to God about how we think He's doing it wrong. It doesn't make sense. Mm. Well, Jesus has risen from the dead. That's what Jesus is saying. A little while you won't see me and then you will see me. He's going to rise from the dead and he did. And because Jesus is raised from the dead, everything he said is true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validated everything that he had said. Everything that he said is coming to fruition and to reality. And if everything Jesus said is true, then every promise he made is true. And if every promise he made is true, then the promise he made in John chapter 11 when Jesus was talking to Lazarus is true. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. One of the things I find that people very often are fearful of is they are afraid of dying, they are afraid of death, or they are afraid of losing a loved one. And they worry about death, they fret and stress about death. You see, just as Jesus has been raised from the dead, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There is a resurrection coming for everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is the great hope that we have as Christians. This is the hope that, that and the knowledge that fuels us that gives us strength, that gives us courage, that reshapes and totally changes our priorities. There is resurrection coming. This 
Life is not the end. For us, it is just the beginning. Jesus goes on, verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. The third reality which, about Jesus which gives us peace. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He has risen from the dead. So every promise he has said is true. And he will turn our sorrow into joy. Jesus tells the disciples here, he says, your pain will be very real. He does not minimize it at all. He says, you will weep and you will lament. He says, the world will even at times rejoice. They will laugh. They will have a great time because you are suffering. It will not be pleasant. And as he says that to them, he's saying it to us as well. But Jesus goes on to say that their sorrows will turn into joy. And he uses the illustration of a mother giving birth. And I've never given birth. (laughs) That used to be taken for granted. May I just say to our world, our world is wrong. Men cannot give birth. It is a biological impossibility unless God who can do anything decides to do a miraculous thing which he has chosen not to because he's the one that created the system which said it doesn't work this way. That's a freebie. But I've never given birth, but I have talked to women who have who have assured me that giving birth is Many months of discomfort and pain and difficulty that is climaxed in an event of hours of agony and difficulty which I as a stupid man will never understand. And I get that. But Jesus says, That when the baby comes, the sorrow, when that precious child is put into the arms of the mother, the wonder and the joy of that child overwhelms the sorrows and the difficulties so that it no longer matters, it's hardly remembered. You know, it's worth noting that Jesus says that He doesn't say that the joy replaces the sorrow. He says the sorrow is turned into joy. Just as in childbirth, the illustration fits perfectly. The joy, the child, is a direct result of the suffering and the pain and the difficulty and the agony. And it even makes the joy that much sweeter. 
that much more precious. And so our loving God says that he turns our sorrows into joy. Even as Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. Those of us who are the child of God, we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are His children and He says that God is at work even in the difficult things, in everything in our life. He works them for good. What kind of a father would deliberately cause pain to his child. Take a sharp object and just jab him with it, creating excruciating pain. What kind of a father would do that? A loving father who's saving his child's life, giving them an epinephrine injection. God never promises we won't have suffering, we won't have pain, we won't have difficulty. What he promises is it is necessary, it is vital, it is significant, it is important, it is for our good. And that he will turn our sorrows into joy. When it is all said and done, when the, when the dust of time has settled and we are in eternity looking back, every sorrow will have its own great joy. Reflecting on this truth caused one old saint to say, I think when we get to heaven, many of us will wish we had suffered more. And I don't doubt it. Verse 23. In that day, Jesus says, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Again, there's so much there, we can only scratch the surface. May I say in summary, it's this. Jesus connects us with the Father. We have direct access to Him through Jesus Christ. Just hours from now, as Jesus hangs on the cross, there with His blood pouring out upon the ground, and His his life draining from Him, and He dies on the cross, the Scripture says at that moment there was an earthquake. And over at the temple there, just not that many yards away over at the temple, the veil, the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from every other place where only the high priest could go behind that curtain only once a year and there to go into the presence of God to represent all the people on the Day of Atonement. He says, the veil is torn because on that moment Jesus Christ opened up the way for us to have access to the Father. We can go to the Father directly. We don't need some other human priest to go on our behalf because we have a high priest in heaven, the book of Hebrews tells us. We can communicate directly to the Father. And Jesus tells us here as well that He will answer our prayers. By the way, that's the fourth time in this little section this evening that Jesus has said in these eight hours that Jesus says, the Father will answer your prayers. He will give you whatever you ask in my name. 
And it's not saying, again, we, we've talked about this before, that, that we just go and say, oh, Lord, well, then I want a Mercedes-Benz. I want a Lamborghini. I want a, I want a yacht. I want, and, and in Jesus' name, and he has to give it to us. Praying in Jesus' name means praying where we are, as Jesus says in John 15, we are abiding in him. We're making our home in him so that our desires are what his desires are. Our priorities are what his priorities are. What we want is what he wants. As Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's about what you want. And Jesus says when we ask in His name, asking what He wants, when we pray what God wants, God answers our prayers and He will work powerfully and mightily. And He says four times in here, we need to pray because God will give us what we want. And I think maybe He's trying to tell us we ought to pray more. Again, there's a whole sermon or two there. We'll just move on. Lastly in this, the Father loves us. He says, verse 27, the Father himself loves you. Why? Because you are now his child. John chapter 1, but as many as received him, talking about Jesus, who have believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God the Father loves you, his child. Some of you just need to hear that today. Because you're feeling alone, you're feeling broken, you're hurting, and you're wondering, does God care? And God loves you. Jesus says it here. The fifth reality, moving very quickly, is found in verse 28. Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. It's a big sweeping summary of Jesus' mission, planned in eternity past. Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. And now with the mission reaching its culmination in just hours, Jesus is preparing to return back to the Father. And for us to understand this, Jesus has now returned to heaven. And the big truth that Jesus is pointing to, I think, here is mission accomplished. The reason he's returning is because what he came to do is done. On the cross, he will hang there and pay the penalty of our sin. He will take the wrath of God for our sin. He will die the death that we deserved. Then he will rise again from the dead. The sacrifice has been accepted. The penalty is paid. The gift has been given, ready to be received by all who will receive him, who will believe on his name. Mission accomplished. For us, there's a great lesson there, by the way, and that is this. That there was nothing random here at the cross. The cross was not a mistake. The cross was not an accident. The cross was not a great failure It was not a great debacle, a great loss, which I'm sure it appeared as to the disciples. But God was in control of every second. And He was accomplishing His purpose, and we can count on that. Jesus says, I came from heaven to earth, and I'm going back to the Father. Mission accomplished. God has worked His purpose. Brothers and sisters, God is at work in your life to accomplish a purpose. We can rest in that even amidst our struggles and our sufferings and our seeming catastrophes. God is at work.
you're a child of His. Along with that, Jesus has returned to heaven, but remembering a promise He made back in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to Myself and take you to Myself so that where I am, you may be also. And I say, since we have this promise from God, since we have this promise from Jesus Christ, I've gone back to heaven to get a place ready for you. Does anything else really matter? Our home is no longer here. This is a temporary place where we are. As the Scripture says, our citizenship is now in heaven. Our home is there. This place is only temporary. That place is forever. And so whatever we're going through here, it's really not a big deal. It is why the Apostle Paul says that what we are going through now are light and temporary trials and difficulties, afflictions. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, part of the reason that we worry and we fret and we're depressed and we are so uptight and stressed and we're so... So all these other things is because we're putting our home here. We're thinking that we're, we're putting our roots down here and we're forgetting where our home is. Jesus has returned to heaven and He's coming to take us back there one day. To take us to be with Him. His disciples said, Oh, hey! Look at verse 29. Ha! Now you're speaking plainly and you're not using figurative speech. (laughs) Now we get it. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. And this is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it's come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Bless the dear, sweet, little pea-picking hearts of these disciples. Sorry, that's a southern expression. Did they say that here in Missouri? Okay. These disciples latch onto this statement of Jesus that he's come from the Father, he's going back to the Father, and they go, we understood something. (laughs) We finally understood something you said, and we get it, and we believe. Jesus, we believe that you came from God. We believe you are the Messiah. We believe what you say is true, and we're, we're there with you. And Jesus says, do you really believe, guys? And he knows, actually, they're sincere. They really are sincere. They really do believe What they're overrating here is how much they know and what they're overrating is how strong their faith is. And Jesus says, in a few moments you will fold like wet tacos. In a few moments you will run, you will scatter like mice running from a cat. But Jesus is telling this to them in His mercy and grace because what He's saying is He understands their frailty. They are sincere, but they are weak. They are prone to failure. 
And may I say that Jesus understands the same thing about us. And what we see here is despite their failure, he loves them. He has plans for them. He's letting them know, hey, this is coming. But guys, I still love you. Guys, I still have a plan. You are my witnesses. The whole thing's going to rest on these guys. And so it is with us today. Jesus says, You're my plan. What's Jesus' plan to reach the world with the life saving, eternity making message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's his plan? Us. Despite the fact that we are losers and failures, he gets us, he understands our frailty. But he doesn't give up on us. One more reality here that gives us peace. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. He's risen from the dead. He will turn our sorrow to joy. He connects us with the Father. He has returned to heaven. He understands our frailty. And look at verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus wins. It didn't look like it in the garden when he was arrested. It didn't look like it at the trials. It didn't look like it when he was being beaten and scourged. It didn't look like it when he was being mocked. It didn't look like it when he was hanging on the cross. It didn't look like it when he was buried. It didn't look like it on Saturday when the disciples are hiding in a locked room, grieving, heartbroken, confused, disillusioned, and afraid. It won't look like Jesus has overcome the world when the walls crash in around you, when suffering comes, when difficulties comes, when sorrow breaks into your world. But Jesus says, take heart. Sunday's coming. I have overcome the world. These realities are real. They are very true. And Jesus says if we abide in Him, if we embrace these, these realities as His children, that He will provide a peace that supersedes our circumstances, whatever our circumstances are. We have Jesus' word on it right here. This isn't something the pastor is saying. This is something Jesus has said to us this morning. But may I say that these realities only provide that peace to people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. It only comes through a relationship with Him. If you're here this morning or you're watching online, you're not sure what that means, or you know you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, talk to me. Come down when we finish this service today, grab my arm. Or just come down in a few minutes, we'll sing a song. You can come down here and sit on the front row and one of our elders or leaders will come and sit and talk with you. Or call me up during the week. I'd love to talk to you about what it is to know Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, this is a powerful passage. We live in a broken world and there's plenty of pain, there's plenty of suffering, plenty of difficulty to go around. And when we get there, so very often we find ourselves in, 
in stress and in distress and in, in confusion and in, in fear and in worry and in sadness. And We've gotten our eyes on the wrong things. How we need to turn our eyes to you. And we need to rest in the realities of who Jesus is and what he has done. And find there in him this peace he has promised. Father, may those folks today who are in those storms, may they hear this and may even now they begin to see changes in their life as they start turning these things over to you and resting in Jesus. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.